It is March the 26th, 2023. The world is still counting time by Jesus. That's significant. Let's have a, let's have a prayer and we will begin. Dear Father, we're grateful to you for this day. We know that it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And because of that, you know that we know that you know every thought, hear every word we say before we say it. Father, we're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for what you've done for us through the gospel, through the life of Jesus, and in his resurrection. Father, each of us uh, has different concerns this morning with family and friends, and uh, you know all of those, but uh, we may be lifting names up to you right now as we say this word, and we ask for your, your blessings and their different needs. Mindful, Father, of the folks in Mississippi the tornado victims there and all of that destruction and uh, for the disruption of their lives and the grieving that's going on. And we pray for, for healing for them emotionally and physically and spiritually. Pray that those around them will minister and that your peace can be at work in that recovery and events like that, Father, just remind us of our total dependence on you for each day. And so we acknowledge that. Ask your blessings as we study today and we pray in Jesus' name, who, who is our sacrifice, our Passover lamb who is our Savior, who is resurrected for us to give us a future. We ask your continued forgiveness and your blessings on us in his name. Amen. Okay, as we, as we just before we get into chapter 11, uh, I want to go back to something, a comment Bill made last week, which was, uh, which was exactly right, and I want to expand that just a, a wee bit. Um, you know, that didn't turn out like it was supposed to. Most arrows look different than that, don't they? Uh, we'll try to work on that before the next time. There's supposed to be an opening in that grave, too. It looks just like a blob, so something happened there in the translation I think what happens there when uh, data is transmitted, if it goes from laptop to laptop, it keeps its integrity. But sometimes when it passes through iPhones, things get dropped and jumbled, and that's what happened on that. So you got the idea. Uh, Matt Drummond's back there. How hard is it, Matt, to go back to the other one? The one that was on before this one so that we can work on fixing that one. If it's a hassle, don't worry with it. No problem. 
that'll be fine. Yeah, let's just go with that today. Thank you. Uh, something that uh, the comment Bill made uh, to, to review on that just a wee bit. Obviously, the book is written to the church in Rome. Paul addresses it when he started, starts out to the saints there in Rome. And so when he gets to um, chapter 10 and he says, brothers, notice how, what he says there. Uh, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved. He's talking about the them is Israel. <clears throat> so he's talking to the church in Rome, to the brothers there. And these are people, as we, when we went through this in chapter 6, he explained to them when they had come to Jesus, he says, don't you know, don't you understand that all of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death and buried with him through baptism into death. That's Romans 6, 3 through 6. So they've obeyed the gospel. They've been baptized into Jesus, chapter 6. So that's happened already. And... Uh, so when he gets to chapter 10, he says, Brothers, I wish my fellow countrymen, I wish the Jews would come to Jesus. I wish they would be saved. His heart is for uh, his brothers of the nation of Israel. In verse 8, he reminds the Christians and he uses a parallel with Moses. When Moses delivered the Ten Commandments to the Jews after Sinai and Deuteronomy, he talks about the word of the Lord is near. They had just been given the Ten Commandments. They knew what God's will was, and the word of the Lord was near them. Paul uses a parallel to that now to the Christians in Rome, and he says Jesus is near too, through faith. You, he's told them in chapter 6, you've been baptized into Christ. He is near as well, so he uses that parallel back to Moses and then he gets to 9 and 10, and he tells them about their confession and their faith. With the mouth, confession is made into salvation. With the heart, man believes into salvation. What's that about? He's talking to people who have been baptized into Christ, so he's not telling them how to be saved. They've been saved. I'll give you my opinion on what he's getting at here. He's living during the time of the Roman Caesars, the Caesars were considered gods, and this started back in B.C. 44. Um, when Julius died, Halley's Comet came through, and Augustus saw it. He saw the comet came, come through, and he said, that is Julius going into heaven as a god. And from that beginning, that comment by Augustus, the Roman Caesars began, um, were referred to and considered gods. And so they required the citizenry of the Roman Empire to refer to them that way. And Paul is saying, no, that's not who we confess as Lord. We're not confessing Caesar as Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so the same charge is to us today. Uh, the way you and I live, we live either confessing Jesus is Lord or we don't by the way we live, not only by the words of our mouths, but by our actions. 
your life should be a demonstration of your confession that Jesus is Lord, as should mine be. Paul's telling these guys, you need to keep, keep your confession, keep living your confession. Jesus is Lord. Don't say Caesar's Lord. Caesar's God. Don't, don't make that confession. You may be pressured to. It may cost you your life. But stay faithful to Jesus. And then he says, believe in verse 10. Continue to believe that God has raised him from the dead. That's, that's where our hope is. It's through Jesus. So my view of this passage here to people who have been baptized into Christ, into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they go through this in Romans 6, that he's telling them to keep the faith. Keep confessing Jesus is Lord. Keep believing God raised him from the dead. Don't cave into the pressure from Rome to say Caesar is Lord. I think that's what's going on there. As we move into chapter 11, the last couple of verses in chapter 10, Paul quotes Moses and he quotes Isaiah. And both of them in, in the passages he quotes, they are both telling through their prophecy that God is going to reach out into other people, unto other people besides the Jewish nation. I will be found, verse 20, uh, 20. I've been found by those that did not seek me. He's talking about the Gentiles. Uh, this was prophesied from way, it was prophesied, it was spoken to Abraham in Genesis 12. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations. So there's the early statement and declaration that not just Jews will be saved, but God's word and his will is for all nations to come to him. And he makes that available through Jesus. And then he says in 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You know, God told Moses, the Israelites, he said, they're a stiff-necked people. Over and over and over again. No sooner had they walked across the Red Sea than they're making a golden calf. The mountains bellowing and all sorts of smoke and stuff's going on up there with Moses and they don't know what's happening to Moses. And they say, we, we, we really need something to worship here, Aaron. I mean, their feet are still, they would have been wet, but they walked through on dry land. So I can't say that. Ah, we've had a reset, Scott. Uh, there are stiff-necked people. You know, I, and I've spoken about this in other classes I've taught. Jeremiah chapter 2. Wow. One of the saddest passages in, in Scripture to me, Jeremiah 2, 5, 6, and 7. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, he says, what have I done? What's wrong with me that my own people have turned away? He said, they've gone after worthless things and they've become worthless. So that's their history. 
a couple of things as we move into chapter 11. Paul has established in chapter 2, which we looked at weeks ago, 20, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. He says, not everyone is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. It's not about your fleshly heritage that makes you one of my people. As we've moved into the new covenant times, he says it's what's in your heart. That's what makes a Jew. In Romans 9, 6, he comes back to the same thing. Paul says in 9, 6, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. They're not all Israel, they're not all God's people who are Israel. Just because they have that bloodline doesn't make them God's people anymore. He says in chapter 9, um, he's talking about two things there. There are two Israels. There's a spiritual Israel. And there's a national Israel. And not all are Israel who belong to the nation of Israel. Two Israels. And he's going to use that term again in this chapter, using the term Israel, referring to God's people. Spiritual Israel. Not fleshly Israel. We'll get to that as we go. Galatians 3, 28, again Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither slave or free. All are one in Jesus. Paul says, God's not counting distinctions anymore. There's not a favored nationality. There's neither Jew nor Greek. All are one in Christ. And as, the, as such, they are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Talking about God's people. Talking about us, Gentiles, Christians. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. All in Christ are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29 So with that setting, um, let's go into chapter 11. So he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. It's not that God has said, I don't want you anymore. He still, he always has wanted the Jews to be his people. And when Paul writes this, he says he still does. He still does. He loves this people. He also loves the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He goes to Elijah 
verse uh, 2, 2, 3, and 4 there. And he talks about Elijah's situation. And Elijah says to the Lord there, after he has the deal with the prophets of Baal, and then Jezebel hears about it and turns on him and says, we got to kill him, and I, I want him killed today. And Elijah runs, and he cries to the Lord. He said, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've killed us all, they being Israel. And God says to him, no, Elijah, I have kept 7,000 to myself out of whatever number of thousands there were in Israel at the time. God said, I've kept a remnant to myself. They haven't all turned away. And he's going to use that uh, picture to talk about the present day. During Paul's time, largely the nation of Israel had rejected Jesus. Now there were certainly thousands of Jews who did follow Jesus, but the majority and all of the leaders, the Pharisees, the priests, the scribes, the rabbis, the whole crew of leadership said, we, we don't like this, uh, this upstart here. In one place, that's uh, in Matthew 20, let's see, let me see where it is. I have a note about it somewhere. Uh, well, it's somewhere. <laughs> Write bigger notes and, and fewer of them and you can spot what you're looking for quicker. Right, Ken? So instead of reading it, I'll just have to say it. At one point... Um, the leaders of the Jews are watching Jesus' miracles and they're saying, this guy's doing, he says, if we don't stop him, the whole world is going to go after him. And when they do, we're going to lose our nation and our place. What was there? They were ignoring what he was saying. They were ignoring what their lying eyes were seeing. People being raised from the dead, leprosy being healed, paralyzed people walking again, and all these things feeding 5,000 people, men only, plus women and children, with one Happy Meal from Long John Silver's. Richard corrected me. It's McDonald's who has the Happy Meal. You know, you've got to be careful where you use your, your funnies. I remember a few years ago, um, I was trying to be cute, and I was working for State Farm in the life insurance area, and the manager of our department I don't know what had happened, but I made the comment in his presence around some others, and I said, you know, it's not rocket psychiatry, which I knew what I was saying, but Floyd, my manager, didn't. He said, that's rocket science. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Richard, you are right. It's McDonald's with the Happy Meal. I don't, does Long John Silver's have anything? Nothing happy? Nothing happy. Okay, well, we'll move on. Okay, they do have fish. Or substitute fish or something, I don't know. Something else that's not kosher. Yeah. Okay. So, and in in another, you know, another thing about the Jews, about being hard-hearted, about the leadership being hard. So the soldiers who were guarding the tomb when Jesus is buried and an angel comes and sits on the rock and he's shining and dazzling and this aura with him 
And the soldiers see that and, uh, and they just fall out. They pass out. Well, when they come to, the tomb's open, the angel's gone, and Jesus is gone. So they go to the chief priests and say, look, we saw this angel. And, uh, he's, he's out of there. And so the high priest said, don't tell the people what you saw. Just say that his disciples came and stole the body. Even the miracle of resurrection or seeing an angel was not enough to penetrate the, hard, the hard-heartedness of the leaders of the Jewish religion who should have known by their own prophets what was going to happen and what did happen and, and recognize it when it did. But Richard. Ben, at that point in time, the high priest office and most of the priests that were associated with the temple, it was all political. It was not a religious position mm-hmm. because these, in many cases, are not the lineage of our own. Okay, Richard's saying, and he's correct, the, the leadership, the, the religious leadership of the day was more political than religious. Uh, they're political animals. They didn't want to lose their spot. So they paid the soldiers off to not tell the truth. Well, whether you're religious or not, you deny a miracle, that's what I would call hard-hearted. There's something clouding your judgment. So anyway, uh, okay, let me move on. Let's drop down. Uh, so, so the point of that being that Israel failed to see what was going on when Jesus came. So he says in verse 7, well, let me back up in verse 6. I'll tell you what, let's back up to verse 5. How would that be, Rick? That's okay. Uh, he says, uh, he's talking about the 7,000 that did not bow the knee to Baal, and he says in verse 5, so too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works, but, on the, but it's on the basis of grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The election obtained, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. The remnant obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Why were they hardened? They were hardened because of the hardness of their hearts. And you recall in Romans chapter 1, verse 124, 126, 128, when people resist God, resist God, resist the obvious, resist God, at some point he says, okay, if you want to believe a lie, if you want to not see the truth, I'm going to let your hardened heart be hardened. I'm going to let you go. Verse 24, God let them go. 26, God let them go. Verse 28, God let them go. There's a limit to hard-heartedness that the Lord will stomach. Kathy. It's the kind of hardness that we we can have even today when we don't believe by faith that Jesus will do what he said he would do and we go around saying, I hope I'm saved. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Kathy says, she's talking about heart conditions. When we don't believe in Jesus, that he will do what he said he would do. And, people, and we say, I hope I'm saved. That's really casting aspersion on what Jesus did at the cross. By one sacrifice, he has paid for sin for all time. Hebrews chapter 10. By one sacrifice, he has paid for all sin one time. And so, of course, we've looked at that several times as we've gone through this, and we should quit doubting the power of his sacrifice. And we should quit doubting what that resurrection means. And we should quit doubting what the ascension means. He ever lives to intercede for us, Hebrews 7.25. The purpose of his being raised and ascending to the right hand of the Father is to be our intercessor. He ever lives to keep us saved. Says we'll be saved to the uttermost because there's been one sacrifice paid for all sin, for all time. Richard. None of Hashem's words have ever returned to him unfulfilled. None of Jesus' words, Hashem. Hashem, the Father, have ever returned unfulfilled. Good point. And Yeshua only speaks what he has heard from the Father. Yes. Uh, Okay, so let's let's go on now to uh, verse 11. So I asked, Paul says, did they stumble, did the Jews stumble in order that they would fall? Or you might even say fail. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So, it wasn't God's will that they would fall. It was the hardness of their heart. It was unbelief is why they fell. But through that hardness, salvation came to us. Paul says in Acts 13, 46, by rejecting Jesus, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, so we have turned to the Gentiles. He, he tells the Pharisees and the high priests, you've rejected the Messiah, so you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. So I'm turning to the Gentiles. Acts 13, 26. It was their own doing. It wasn't God's will. It was their own doing. Their trespass resulted, he says in verse 12, into, in, resulted in riches for the world. And then he says, how much greater would it be if they would come back to the Messiah, if they would come back and believe their own prophets about the Messiah? He is still hopeful his people will return to the Messiah or acknowledge the Messiah. Then Paul goes into this uh, metaphor in 13 and 14, no, in 17 through 24, about the olive tree. And so he reminds the Gentiles that you don't have any grounds for uh, arrogance or pride. No, you're an add-on, he's telling them. 
It reminds them that the Jews were first. They are the root. And that you're wild branches that have been grafted in. Into what? Into God's tree. So let's look at a couple of these, a couple of these verses. Uh, verse 19, 11, 19. Well, let me go up to 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. He's telling these, the Gentiles that are in his audience. If you are arrogant, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. God's word came through the Jews. The prophets were of the Jews. The Messiah is of the nation of Israel through Abraham's seed. That's the root. God used the Jews as his conduit to bring his word in, into the world through the first through the Ten Commandments, before that through speaking to Abraham, actually, but through the Ten Commandments, through the prophets, and then ultimately the Messiah, so that the world might be saved. That was the root, and that's the point that he's making here in verse 18 and 19. You'll say the branches were broken off, verse 19, so that I might be grafted in. 20. True, branches were broken off. God reached a limit. Broken off because of unbelief. So that you might be <clears throat> grafted in. They were broken off through unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So don't be proud, but fear or be reverent. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either if you turn away. You're no better than the Jews, sir. This takes replacement theory and throws it out the window. We, Israel has not been replaced. Israel is being added to. By, by Gentiles. They are being added into the body of Israel. Israel meaning God's people, not God's national political group. I didn't say that. No, I'm clarifying. The Jews were God's root, the basis of the tree. Many branches were broken off because of unbelief many more branches were brought in because of faith into God's tree. When I say God's tree, I'm talking about God's Israel, God's people, which started out with a nation, but when the Messiah came, the nation rejected him, except for the remnant. And so the Gentiles came in to God's nation. And now Paul is saying, I wish the nation would come back to their roots because many of them are broken off through unbelief. They left their roots. God still has his people that started with the Israelite nation, his people. But he, with the new covenant by faith, he is gathering his people together. Faith in the Messiah. I wish the Jews that would not accept the Messiah would come back. And the natural branches, he said, can readily be grafted back in if they would come to faith. Kathy. That's why we can thank Father Abraham. 
Father Abraham had many sons. I wonder if Don McGinty would sing that one with us. Don, you're listening. It's time to break out into song. We'll pause here for a few seconds. I love Don. He loves the Lord and he loves his word. Uh, Okay. So the Jews, verse 20, were broken off due to unbelief. God didn't spare the natural branches, verse 21. He He won't spare the Gentiles either if they go the same route in unbelief. So he said, don't get proud. Let's look at And so he says in verse 23, they can be grafted in again, the Jewish nation. Verse 24, if you were grafted into God's tree as a wild branch, obviously the natural branch can be drafted, grafted in again. Then an interesting thing here in verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. A partial hardening has come unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When God hardened Pharaoh's heart in Egypt... Let me say this before I say that. I can't think of any example in Scripture where a person of faith, a good-hearted person of faith, had his heart hardened against his will. God doesn't harden good hearts against their will. That's not the business God's in. God is in the gathering business. So he says here in verse 25, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Why is that? Because of their unbelief. Because their hearts are hard. Because they rejected the Messiah. Was it Stephen that told the Jews back in the day that you kill all the prophets? You always kill the prophets. That's their record. So finally, as in the spirit of Romans 124, 126, and 128, in resisting God's will and resisting God's prophets, in resisting his Messiah and rejecting his Messiah, God said, okay, I'm going to let you go your way. Hardening of the hearts. Most Israel today does not follow the Messiah. There are some. There is a remnant. Most do not. He says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and 2,000 years later, the fullness of the Gentiles has not been met yet. We're still coming in. Folks like you are coming to Christ every day. Folks like us. Coming to Christ every day. The fullness has not been reached. Paul wishes that all of Israel would be saved, all of the nation of Israel. I do too. But if all Israel is going to be saved, they're going to have to be saved through the Messiah, through Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, 
and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me because I am the one that paid for the sins of everyone. There's no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. So, then notice what he says. Now, pay attention here. He has just said, you've got a hardening of the heart on Israel. A hardening has come until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. All of God's people will be saved through Jesus. He's using Israel there in terms God's people. The remnant of the Jews, the fullness of the Gentiles, and in this way all Israel shall be saved. All Israel being spiritual Israel. Believing Jews, believing Gentiles. In this way all Israel shall be saved. Spiritual Israel. Notice verse 28. Any questions about that, by the way? Any comments on that? All Israel? No? Okay. Once again, and I've said it before, I'll I'll go back on the all Israel part. Again, Paul writes in Galatians 3, 28, 29, There's no Jew or Greek in Jesus. There's no nationalities in Jesus. Who's Israel? That's God's people. Spiritual Israel, God's people. And we'll all be saved the same way, through faith in the Lord. Okay, verse 28. As regards the gospel, they, the Jews, they're enemies for your sake. He's talking to... Gentiles in Rome and Jews as well, but he's talking about believers, and he says the unbelievers are your enemies. Because because of the unbelievers, God turned to the Gentiles. Paul turned to the Gentiles, an apostle to the Gentiles. So he says, regard the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but regards as uh, election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. The Jews are still loved. The nation of Israel is still loved by Jehovah. He still wishes all would come to faith because of the love of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the love God had for his people from the beginning. The physical nation has a heritage and they are still loved. And he was still welcome all that would come. Verse 32. God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. You know, Paul says in Romans 3, 10, 9 and 10, all have turned away, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jew and Gentile, all. All have been disobedient. And God will have mercy 
on all who will come to Jesus. So Romans 5.8 says, While you were still sinners, Jesus came and died for you, he writes to the Romans. When we were all sinners, Jesus came and died. God has made way for us to be saved through the payment of our sins, the resurrection of Jesus, and his ascension as our high priest. And he will have mercy on all that come to Jesus. Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Unsearchable are his judgment and inscrutable are his ways. They are perfect. I go to verse 36 in the New Living Translation. Everything comes from him, the Father. Everything exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory be to him. Amen. Or if you prefer, amen. Godspeed. Next week, I think something else is happening for adults and teens combined in here. And then we've got the Easter service. So we will not have this class again until the schedule would call for uh, April the 16th. Lord willing. Godspeed. Carry on. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.